Episode 228, Mark Lesser, former monk and CEO of ZBA Associates. My parents were not thrilled about this. They, they would have characterized it as worse than a mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Mark and uh, everything he does, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 228. Thanks for listening. I'm sure you won't think it's a mistake. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Mark Lesser. He's the CEO of ZBA Associates, an executive development and leadership consulting company, and he's a Zen teacher and coach. So Mark founded and was CEO of three highly successful companies. He has an MBA from New York University. Prior to his business and coaching career, Mark was a resident of the San Francisco Zen Center for 10 years. And he was the director of Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, the first Zen monastery in the Western world. So before I tell you a little bit more about Mark, first off, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Great. Uh, I'm doing great. It's good to see you, Mark. Yeah, thank you for being here. I think we have a a lot of interesting um, topics to explore here today related to um, different aspects of of your career. But let me tell everyone a little bit uh, more about you first. So uh, again, Mark Lesser, he helped develop the world-renowned program called Search Inside Yourself at Google. It's a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence training for leaders, which teaches the art of integrating mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and business savvy to create uh, great corporate cultures and a better world. Mark is the author of many books, including most recently, Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships. And he's host of a podcast called Zen Bones, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. So, you know, Mark, um, you know, normally we jump right into the favorite mistake question, but first I'd like to ask, you know, one question kind of about your, your background. Um, if it's, if it's um, fair, or accurate to describe you as a former monk and, you know, I, I think we can explore this more later, but can you sort of summarize a little bit about what that, what that was, what that means, what that is? Yeah. Yeah. No, my, um, my, my one year leave of absence from Rutgers university when I was, you know, in my early twenties, turned into 10 years of living at the the San Francisco Zen Center. My parents were not thrilled about this. They they would have characterized it as worse than a mistake. Uh, but um, back they, yeah. <laughs> they, they sent someone after me to, uh, to rescue me from the cult. And of course, uh, that person ended up becoming part of the Zen Center as well. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. And to, to answer your question more specifically, yes, uh, during five of those 10 years, I was uh, a monk in that I was uh, living in a monastery. But this was California, you know, so this was people think of, of different images when they think of monasteries. Uh, this was men and women and children and families. And it at the same time, it was a... Um, a very uh, arduous uh, schedule that included a 3:40 a.m. wake-up bell every morning, and and, and lots of and lots of meditation. Um, so it was interesting that the combination of uh, 
tr- traditional traditional schedule, but very non-traditional makeup of who is living there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I think we'll we'll come back to that later on because I, I I'm I'm guessing I don't know for sure. It doesn't sound like that was your favorite mistake going to monastery. So instead of guessing or or presuming, let me just ask it as I as I should. Um, you know, Mark, with the different things that you've done different aspects of your career, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Yeah, the one that comes up for me was, uh, you know, after I, after my 10 years, I went to business school and I started a publishing company, uh, that, uh, company called Brush Dance that we made, uh, greeting cards and calendars. It was a company that I, I started literally in my garage and, um, grew it and grew it. And my favorite mistake, I would say, was uh, avoiding having some uh, some important and difficult conversations, not avoiding conflict, which led to me being fired from that company that I started. Oh. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Wow. And that, that was um, uh, an enormous lesson. And and. You know, and interestingly enough, now Mark, it's something that I um, I find myself teaching a lot. And in fact, this new book, a lot of a lot of this book is about uh, avoiding conflict is trouble, and, um, and that was um, that was a clear um, big big mistake was avoiding some of those conflicts and difficult conversations, and things got really wonky in in my in my company and. Uh, yeah, and I was um, uh, rather blown away and surprised when my my board wanted to meet with me and to tell me that um, it was time for me to time for me to leave. Wow. What were I mean? What what was an example of one of those difficult conversations or topics or potential conflict points that that you were avoiding? Yeah, I would say you know it's interesting the line between. Um, on the on the one hand, uh, you know, we were going through some turbulent times, you know, as as businesses often do, and and there was some, you know, uh, disagreement around around strategy, around some decisions. But I would say that some of my some of my key employees were crossing the line about disagreeing with me, and then there was, I would say, a line of disrespect, and and that, um, and I think they. They then um, even took it further, right? So, and I think they could see that I was I was not stepping up to having some of those hard conversations with them about their behavior. Um, and then I think they were they felt I think uh, the freedom to then talk to some of my board members, and and there was some. You know, it's interesting. There can be uh, some pretty wonky political things that 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 were happening behind the scenes there. Yeah, so I think I think had I had I had the the courage and the skill to just have some of those real direct conversations with people that were crossing lines. I mean, in truth, it was probably time for me to leave. Uh, 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 but but I wanted it. it. I think it could have happened very differently had I not avoided some of those hard conversations. And and this was your, your, the first business that you started. Is that right? This was my first company, you know, and, um, and with my, uh, my second and, and, and third company, especially the, the company that I, I, as you alluded to, I started a company that was birthed 
inside of Google's headquarters. And, and it was there that I made a very conscious decision, uh, promise or vow to myself to not avoid difficulty. Uh, to, now, it doesn't mean that I have to, um, you know, have every difficult conversation, but to not avoid them is a very different thing. And, and it's interesting, as you were, as you were um, describing th- this podcast and, and me, uh, I think maybe even before we got on, I thought uh, w- one of the things that um, an, an exercise I do often in the workshops that I teach is I, I have everyone... You know, I, I describe how I took some improv classes, uh, partly to help me feel more comfortable when I'm up in front of people. And one of the, th- the first things that you do in improv is they teach you to raise your hands and with a big smile say, I failed. And, and I, I've done this with many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of Google engineers <laughs> and, and, and other business leaders. And there is something about... Um, uh, having a different relationship with failure, which is what I so appreciate about the work that you're doing here, Mark, on this right. podcast. Yeah. So th- tell me more about that exercise. I mean, is that a general statement of saying at something in the past with some, I, I have failed, and yeah. and and what 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 thoughts follow from that? Yeah. So it's um, you know, it, it it's it's lessening one's fear of failure, having a different relationship with failure. So what often what I do, if I, if, if I'm doing a workshop with a, with a smaller group, I will then introduce an improv game that in which it's about things happening quickly and in which you will fail. And it's then noticing our usual, our usual response and reaction to failure is to tighten because we don't want to fail. So this game is to get more practice at failing and not tightening. It just and and it's a little bit like sometimes what happens is after we do that, you know, you you spill your coffee by accident and instead of like, oh shit, like, it's like right. I failed. And <laughs> yeah. And I find myself, you know, in, in truth we're throughout our day whether it's in business or in life there's there's lots of little failures and in some way i think it's um practice for some of the some of the bigger failures too uh you know of course we don't want to fail and we do everything we can as we should to be successful and not fail failures will happen and it's like so what it's this this game is about shifting our becoming a little bit more comfortable with relationship with failure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's really interesting. And I've, I've tried to you know, develop some of my own methods of, of again, you know, either just acknowledging a small mistake or, you know, soothing myself or reminding myself it could be okay. And, you know, I think when we have a more positive, when we're able to have a more honest relationship uh, with small mistakes, I think there's, there's less denial, there's less cover up that, that, uh, you know, if we address the small mistakes in a lot of cases, we can uh, prevent the big catastrophes. What, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? No, definitely. Well, especially, you know, things like uh, avoiding conflict, right? So what I think often we avoid and avoid and avoid or we, you know, because we, we, we want things, there's a, I think we, we humans habitually, we want things to be okay. We don't want things to be falling apart. 
So it takes it for a lot of people. Many of us are, um, I would say, conflict avoidant, don't like to have, don't like to face difficulty, don't like to face maybe other people's mistakes, other people not living up to their commitments, uh, not being accountable. So uh, yeah, that will, that, that's, that was one of the big lessons for me was that will, that will get me into trouble, avoiding those, those smaller, those, those, those what look like uh, smaller mistakes. You know, it's funny in the, um, in, in the world of Zen, there's an expression, you know, that the life of a, a Zen teacher is one mistake after another. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's there's also Mark an expression. Um, you know, a tiger catches a mouse with its full strength. So it's a little bit like what you were saying. It's like not avoiding those things that look small, like, like giving giving thing giving everything as much as we can our full attention. Yeah. So I mean, thinking back to your story, or even as you're coaching people more generally. Um, what what do you, what 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 are some of the factors that lead people to hold back? Like, is it what what what? It's fear of the conflict itself, or fear of what the conflict might lead to in terms of relationships or, or outcomes? Yeah, yeah. I think all those things. I think it's you know, uh, un- underneath it, I think is becoming bringing awareness to that question. Like, what it what is it? Uh, what what is what is that fear? Um, what do I think, what's the worst possible outcome that what, what might happen? Yeah. I think there's fear that, oh, the other person might be angry. They might be mad at me. Uh, they might not like this, but it's like, man, all of those things are, um, especially in the realm of leadership, we need to train ourselves to have a bit more skill and freedom to be able to, to have those real, those real conversations. And, and it's Okay. If someone someone might be angry with me, well, that's that's okay. That happens. People people are going to be angry with me whether I have this conversation or not. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, is, how much of it? I mean, you're talking about freedom and and skill. When when it, let's say if you're giving advice to your younger self, or as you're giving advice to others now, how much of like this decision? to I don't know, have the difficult conversation, to not avoid it. How much of that is a matter of, let's say, courage or safety versus skill of like knowing how the best way to bring up a difficult subject or both? Yeah. You know, I tend to think in this, you know, in, in the work that I do, the coaching work that I do, the the I think there's a a presence element to it, right? It's it's having having a body, having a being able to show up in a way where you're not spewing emotions, where you can actually be more present. And I'd say there is a, um, and then there is a, a skill part of it, having, having the tools and skills to be able to know that these conversations, you know, that there's a content piece of it. There's an emotional piece of it. There's often an identity what what are my identity issues that th- does this somehow involve this other person or my sense of confident competence? Competence is a big is a big one in the uh, in the world of work and leadership. Of you know, qu- am I questioning my own or this other person's competent competence? And 
but again, underneath that all, I think is is seeing our own uh, habit, our habit energy, and being able to uh, to move from habit and compulsion to more choice. Seeing choice and skill, being able to skillfully have these difficult conversations. Yeah. So you you talked earlier about this vow that you made to yourself to not avoid all difficult conversations. I mean, do you, do you have kind of a thought process? I don't know if in, maybe in Google speak, is this an algorithm? <laughs> is it, is it a sense of, of when to take some action and lean into what might be a difficult conversation? Yeah. I think it starts by noticing, right? Like <laughs> I could remember, it's funny how, you know, I, one of the things I love about this work of, um, you know, aware, whether we call it awareness or relationship building, we get to practice it in all parts of our lives. And I was thinking when you, when you just asked me that question, you know, like in my, in my marriage, um, you know, my, uh, my wife would say something to me and it might not be till two days later. Like she said, what? Like I, <laughs> so I felt like part of it is, training oneself to be aware and notice like like so i think it starts with uh in the work world any any time there is what i think of as an ouch or some energy that comes up that you feel that you you start i mean our bodies are amazing this way so part of it i think is listening listening to our bodies and training ourselves to be aware of those especially when we're tightening, when there's an ouch. And, and then it's, um, so it's, I think it starts there. And then it's having the presence to say, oh, you know, uh, what, what, what is this about? Uh, and, and it, do what is this, is there a need to have a conversation about, about this? Or is this, some, or no, I can, this is something, this is all, this is all me. I can, I can just let this, I can let this go. This is super, super interesting uh, how this, the different ways this comes up in, in the work, in the work world. Well, I, it's not even work world. It can be in every neighborhood. I mean, I'm not going to, I won't go into all the detail or anything. It's not like there's legal action or anything. It's not that bad, but let's say within a neighborhood homeowners association, you have a board that makes a decision about something that's going to impact the neighborhood um, I made a choice to speak up and ask some questions and even challenge, like, why, why is this technology not, why is this necessary? You know, I'm a problem solver, so I don't want to just hear the solution. I want to hear the problem. Maybe they're making a mistake, but I'll tell you, um, I don't regret asking questions, but I mean, I got some very direct feedback in a phone call with the board president who felt like I was questioning their competence when that wasn't my intent. Um, but you know, it just goes to show, um, there, there, it, there's, there's risk in avoiding it or am I, maybe I say, okay, fine. It's a little bit of money. Um, I should just put it out of my mind and move on. But I, I, I chose to, to lean into that. Not, no, I guess I can't control, I can control my action or my tone of voice. I can't control how someone else is responding to something. Right. right. Yeah. I want to underscore what I think of as two core lessons here in this realm of what we're talking about. One is uh, impact is not intention. So 
like, so the imp- impact is someone does something or says something or even looks at us in a certain way and we feel tight or we feel ouch or we feel like our, uh, maybe even feel like our competence is being questioned. That's the impact. We don't, we, we don't know what the other person's intention was. In fact, I, I had a conversation yesterday with someone who told me that um, they had a lot of, he had a lot of people over to his house for a gathering and, and they got noisier and noisier and noisier. And he, he started feeling anxious in his own house. And he he told me that he felt betrayed by these people who were not paying attention to how anxious he was feeling because of the noise level in his home. And uh, I said, man, you know, probably they just had, they were just all having a good time. Like betrayed. That's a really, uh, that's a really strong word. I, I think you might be weaving a story there about their intention. So we humans, we do this almost unconsciously, right? When, when we feel threatened or hurt in, in small, medium or large ways, our tendency is to go to blame. Mm. Our t- our tendency is right. to go to the story. So like in this way, you know, betrayed, you know, right. or, you know, I mean, this could be right. Our, our next door neighbor could be playing loud music, you know, late at night. And, oh man, I feel so betrayed. Like, no, they're just having a party. Yeah. And, and we might need to go over and say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they might get upset, but um, I mean, I guess that's just you know, my part of the, the the pros and cons that we weigh in this decision of do we let it go? Do we tolerate it? Do we say right. something? Do I need to say something versus choosing choosing your battles, if you will? Yeah, uh, it's violent language there. Sorry, but I wanted to mark say the the other really interesting I think of rule of thumb in this realm is that we we judge others by the impact their actions have on us. We judge ourselves by our intentions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We are all good people. We're all good people. Every, you know, but but those others, we judge them by the impact that their actions have on us. Super interesting yeah. I think, to, to unpack that. Well, and and you're making me think back to the neighborhood situation. I kind of you know uh, I'll recognize I fell into a bit of a trap of saying, well, I didn't intend to upset him. I didn't intend to say you're incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um, but what landed was different. And I think of a different scenario. I was more of a, a spectator to online and, you know, professional circles, LinkedIn, um, of somebody, there, there was a post that offended some women just in terms of the language that was used. It could have been acknowledged, apologized for and corrected, but, but the people involved in the post kind of went on the attack and they said, well, our intent was not to offend. Now, as an observer to that, not being a direct participant, I even tried to coach one of the people sort of involved in this kerfuffle as someone I know. And I and I realized this is advice I need to give myself. Like intent doesn't matter. Nobody knows intent. What matters here is that some people were offended by a choice of words. Okay. I'm <laughs> I'm going to reflect on that and remind myself of that point. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and these things, um, <laughs> these things show up in so many different ways. I mean, I, I was thinking of a, um, I was leading a workshop and I did, um, I did a short guided meditation at the beginning of this workshop. And one of the things that I did 
was had people, um, um, you know, uh, I brought them to a place of feeling safe. Like, what is it like? What is it like to feel safe as, as something to practice in meditation? And afterwards, uh, one of the participants was a young black man who told me, you know, I had trouble with your instructions about feeling safe. I don't feel safe as a black man in, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was like, and I had to, um, it was really interesting. And I said, I'm, you know, I thank you for sharing your experience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we, we never know. We can never know another person's experience. And this is, um, you know, the, the, the first chapter in my book is called, uh, be curious, not furious. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes I think we should all have that sewn into the, you know, our, as a label in our clothing to remember, you know, <laughs> to be right. curious, especially in these things about other people's experience. That, right. It's amazing, right? The, you know, the same thing can happen. The same thing can be said and we experience it completely right. differently. Right. And, and I mean, I, I think that's something I try to be better about, you know, you, there, there's this, um, this, uh, you know, be, uh, what's the right word? I think empathy, empathy towards others, that their experiences and perspectives are different. So again, I'm kind of bringing it back to like this online kerfuffle um, of somebody saying, well, um, that language is not offensive, or there was a, a similar post that some other people complained about of like, that's not offensive. That's funny. That's a meme. That's a joke. Don't be offended. And again, I tried to give some feedback of like, I mean, I've learned this the the the, the rough way, uh, or, you know, school of hard knocks sometimes of like telling people how they should feel just isn't helpful. Yeah. 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 I often quote, um, uh, there's a, uh, a psychiatrist uh, named uh, R.D. Lang who wrote a book. This was Long time ago, book what was one of my favorite books when I was in college called uh, "The Politics of Experience," and it starts with, "I cannot experience your experience; you cannot experience my experience. Therefore, we are invisible to each other." Now, this is a bit of a cynical viewpoint, but the message—the message underneath it—is that we can't, we really cannot experience other people's experience. And like what you were just saying. This happens, man, the, the, the dialogue online because we are, you know, we don't have the um, usual clues of our presence. Uh, so people, people, it, things can get, you know, off the rails really easily with la- language and words and being, being offended. And uh, again, it, but I think underneath it is we have a different experience to, uh, to language. Mm-hmm. And, and and context and medium and, you know, thinking back to this HOA situation, I think a lot of this would have gone differently if I had reached out to the board president, who's a neighbor, I've met him, we're not friends, but, you know, to say, hey, I have some questions, can we talk? Like, I think through a phone call, a similar set of questions through tone um, would have landed differently than just seeing words on a screen. Like my engineer brain says, I'm being rational. I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm looking for answers, not thinking, you know, like that's going to land differently when someone sees, wow, okay, that seemed kind of curt or aggressive or like you didn't thank us for our efforts first. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot missing in my attempt at a Facebook group communication. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes use the example of 
you know, a, a supervisor, a boss says to someone who works for them, you know, can you have that report on my desk tomorrow morning? Now, that, that could be if if your relationship is good and, and you know, that could be, oh, n- no problem. But if 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 you've been late and there's some tension, that's the mm-hmm. same exact words could be taken as, man, that's man. He must be really mad at me. That's a real challenge. Why? Why is he talking to me that way? It's just but it's so much of it has to do with uh, context, relationship, the level of trust, the level mm-hmm. of curiosity. Yeah, I mean, it could be a question like, is it possible if it's not too much of a burden, if you don't have other things to do, could you have it by tomorrow versus thou shalt or else? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Mark, you you said earlier, um, well, it's just uh, double back to where you said two core lessons. One, impact is not intention. Did did I, did I, what's the second core lesson? I don't think we got to that. The the second one was that we, Right. We judge others by oh, the gotcha. we judge other, we judge others by the impact their actions have on us. Mm-hmm. And we judge ourselves by our intentions. That's right. Okay. All right. You know, no, that's a great yeah. point. That was clear. So okay. So that second yeah, yeah. okay. It's so interesting, right? Like even in, in what you're describing about the homeowners association or the the insanity in, in our politics, you know, how how from from both sides, you know, I mean every Everyone, we all want the same thing, right? We want we want to be happy. We want our children to be safe. You know, uh, we're, we're all good, kind people. But then we we immediately get into trouble with um, you know, our the way that we judge others. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Mark, um, around uh, Buddhism and and the little bit that I've read about Buddhism, um, there, there's often a lot of discussion about mistakes and kind of, you know, a particular Zen or Buddhist view. I've seen phrases, uh, you know, Buddhists don't sweat mistakes, you know, an emphasis on seeing mistakes as essential, things that that lead to learning and, and growth. I mean, how, 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 do you, how would you articulate kind of, you know, this, this perspective on mistakes? Well, since you're bringing in Buddhism, <laughs> I think that um, one of the perspectives or that Buddhism brings, which is somewhat somewhat radical, is that that we we actually live in two worlds simultaneously. What um, Buddhist language again? They might call it different thing, but there's the relative world, and then there's maybe the what's sometimes called the absolute world. Right. So in the relative world, the relative world is the ordinary world where, you know, a mistake is a mistake. And, and we do need to live in that world. Now, the absolute world is one kind of stepping back and seeing that um, that what, a, you know, in, in the absolute world, everything is just as it as it is. And, and, and that that mistake is like a tiny drop in a much larger ocean. So it's. So the absolute world is a kind of different kind of perspective taking, um, but it's not about ignoring the relative world. It's like you have to com- we have to completely live in the relative world, but it introduces a larger a larger perspective around around time and space. Right that that it's a kind of realization that the way that we think about time generally made up. You know it was. Um, you know, Einstein, who famously said, you know, past, present and future are very practical, but they're made up. They don't really they don't really exist. 
And, and also, you know, we humans are amazing in that we, in some way, yes, we're, we're in this body, we're in this place, but we have these amazing imaginations and ability to, to be in many places at the same time in a certain mm. way. So, yeah. so Buddhism introduces a, a radical kind of uh, perspective taking. Now, did, did I make a mistake in sort of combining Buddhism and Zen? You're kind of reacting like, yeah, you did, but no. All right. <laughs> no, no. no. Um, Zen, is, uh, Zen is a particular school of, of Buddhism. Okay, there so that's why we hear Zen Buddhism. Right. Okay. right. And then there's, okay. there's, Tibet, there's Tibetan Buddhism, or there's many other. And even, and even within Zen, there are various uh, schools. Uh, Buddhism itself, you know, the, the historical Buddha was around in about, you know, 500, 600 BC. Uh, Zen came into being about a thousand years later in China in, oh, okay. in like 500 600 uh, AD in, in China, Zen, Zen was birthed. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that, Mark. So I, I was going to ask you kind of your transition then from the monastery to business school. Like, what, what prompted that? Did anyone try to come rescue you from business school? <laughs> Different no, that, calls, was, uh, that was a rather, that was a really hard transition. You know, after um, I loved my time being at the, at the Zen center um, I think in part, um, uh, turning 30, um, being married and also having my son was born all during, uh, that, that time. And I, I felt like, uh, I needed to find out my place, um, in the work world, especially, and what I was going to do for lively livelihood. And, and also I, I needed to kick myself out of the Zen Center in a certain way. It had become a little small and a little comfortable, and I needed to enter the world of um, figuring out who who I was and what I was going to do, especially in the world of livelihood and and money. Yeah, and that was hard. Going, I went right from there, right in pretty much right into business school to, in on Wall Street in New York University, right. Uh, and uh, it was a kind of learning by fire, uh, but it was um, it was powerful, and uh, I really appreciated it. Look, I appreciate it a lot more looking back yeah. at how how hard that time was. I can only imagine. I mean, if somebody went to business school, and you know, think of the different backgrounds and perspectives, and there are certain kind of common backgrounds you meet somebody. So, what did you do before business school? Someone might say, you know, uh, consulting, investment banking. Certainly, you know, I was at startups, and then there's somebody occasionally. Like I think of you know people from um, you know business school that, that it stands out sometimes. Like oh, that's that's a very unique, different background. I mean, I'm sure you, you had a lot of those moments where people did a double take. Like, wait, you were doing what, Mark? <laughs> For sure, no. And I, uh, you know, there were some funny uh, times. I, I remember. During that time, after I, when I was in business school and I was looking for a part-time job in, in New York City, I, I can remember my, my first my first resume just um, very unskillfully just said exactly what I had been doing. I can remember uh, being in a I, I was looking for a um, a part-time job and I was in an office building like on the forty third floor of a. New York City building and and I was I was in the waiting room and 
and people, I could see a bunch of people were gathered around a desk looking at my resume and I could hear one of them saying, there's a Zen monk here looking for a job. (laughs) And made it, it was not easy. It was not the job. I didn't get that job, but it's Mm. funny. The job that I did get was um, I had my, my resume kept shifting and changing. And, and um, at one point it became, I was the, uh, I was the head of human resources for a conference center in California called Tal Sahara. And, and I was in a job interview and this woman looks at me and says, I know this place. I've been to Tassahara. It's a Zen monastery. And, uh, and she said, I'm, and I'm going to hire you because I, I kind of have a feeling about someone who's been in, in that uh, particular uh, institution, organization. So it was yeah. a funny, funny time. Yeah. Well, again, our guest today is Mark Lesser. His most recent book is Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships. You know, I want to ask you, Mark, one thing you talk about, you know, it's a favorite subject and topic of mine, kind of alluded to it earlier, psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And you, you you say there are three ingredients to finding that that psychological safety at work and home. What 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 are those? <laughs> or at least some of yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, kind of alluded to this in something that we were talking about earlier is that I think it starts with presence. I think it starts with, you know, it's interesting. Um this whole realm of emotional intelligence. Uh, and, and this is where one of the things that I, that I did a lot of teaching in and training in is what we call mindfulness based emotional intelligence, that emotional intelligence is a set of competencies. And this is, so this is a core part of psychological safety is the, the, the competencies around self-awareness and self-regulation, for example, and empathy uh, and having those communication skills. But I think it starts with a, um, a body practice, right? Training, training yourself to, to in some way to not be uh, overreacting or underreacting, right? Fight, fight, flight, and freeze are, are natural body reactions when we're, when we're threatened. So I think a core part of psychological safety is is kind of that self awareness. Another core part is is that building uh, building those relationships of of trust. Uh, and then there's just I think having the uh, having the emotional intelligence uh, communication skills that we that we need to to make to have real conversations to build to build that trust. And, and these things I think are all very much uh, inter interrelated with each other. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. That that's uh, good, good, good points. Um, good, good things to reflect on and, and think about. And I'll I'll continue um, doing that as well. So, you know, I want to ask one question before we start wrapping up about business settings, workshops that you do, places like Google. You know, engineers, highly technical, uh, you know, technical people. What what types of reactions do you get when people? show up to a workshop where you're talking about things like mindfulness or, or Zen? Well, this is where I think that um, my, my job is to be, be a role model as much as I can. So for me, for me to come in uh, present, uh, for me to meet them where they are, for me to create a safe and energetic space you know, one of the things that we used to hear, especially uh, in these early days of, of teaching 
mindfulness trainings at Google was it was an opportunity for people to take their game faces off, right? Because Google and many, many workplaces are, you know, uh, highly competitive, highly stressful. Um, so, and, and those can be, you know, competition and stress can be positive if you can feel like you can also be yourself, feel a sense of psychological safety where you, where it's okay to make mistakes as an example, where mistakes are, are seen as part of the process. Um, yeah. So I, I found that there was a tremendous amount of, um, hunger for m- these, uh, mindfulness, which in some way I always thought was a, you know, kind of a code word for being more human in the workplace, bringing in more human humanity, which I would say for the past, you know, hundred years has been rooted out of the business world. There was always this assumption that emotions and humanity were not good for business. And I think this was a big um, aha, you know, not just at Google, but in, in companies all over the world that these humans, we need to work together. We need collaboration. We need trust. Uh, we need psychological safety. That all these things are are essential for bus- for business success. Are they're not they're not they're not they're not impediments to business success. Yeah, yeah. And as much as we might, as we might stereotype, and you know, I have two engineering degrees, and you say, okay, well, you know, label me as like very analytical, quantitative, rational. Um, but I mean, we're, 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 we're all fairly complicated. We all have emotions. Like you said, we may have learned to try to mask or dial back some of that because of what's quote unquote appropriate or safe, you know, in, in a workplace. Yeah. Well, you know, we, it's interesting how we need precision in the workplace and we need flexibility. We need confidence and we need humility. So I think, I think, you know, and, and a lot of, um, a lot of what I think people really get from the work that um, the work of mindfulness, the work that I do is not avoiding pain, not avoiding difficulty, not avoiding mistakes. Again, all of the, the work that you're bringing into through this podcast, Mark, this, this um, having a different, having a different, a healthy relationship with mistakes, with failures, with things that are, that are difficult this is a core part of, you know, the, the human, the human experience. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you're doing to highlight that. And, you know, what you've shared um, with us today, again, uh, Mark Lesser is, has been our guest. Uh, the book is finding clarity. I, I noticed on your website, website, Mark, that it was endorsed by uh, professor Kristen Neff, who was a guest on this podcast back in episode 183, talking about self-compassion. So I was happy to see that, uh, that, that, that she's enjoyed your work. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mark. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here again, Mark Lesser. I'll put links in the show notes to um, his website. You can learn more about uh, his work, workshops, different ways he could work with your organization, the book, the podcast, all of that will be in the show notes. So I, again, thank you, Mark. This has been um, really, really nice. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Mark Lesser for being such a fascinating guest today. To learn more about him and his work, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 228. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. 
I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.